Welcome to the third in our series on Jonah. Jonah, if you were here for the last two, uh, two weeks, Jonah was commissioned by God to preach to the people of Nineveh. But he doesn't want to. So he gets on a ship going in the opposite direction. And God sends a great storm and everyone aboard fears for their lives. We join the text after Jonah has convinced the sailors to throw him into the sea. And as a result, the storm subsides and the sailors are saved. Jonah, however, is in the water, expecting to drown. So if you turn to Jonah in your Bibles, I'm going to start to read with the very last verse of Jonah chapter 1 and move through into chapter 2. So it's Jonah 1, starting at verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray. Speak to us, Lord, through this text. Open our eyes to see you, to see what Jonah saw of you, to see you through the Bible, the text we have in front of us, and through the rest of the Bible. I pray, Lord, you'd be with us by your spirit. Amen. Has it ever surprised you that when you look at Jonah and remember and think back if you were if you went to Sunday school and think back to your Sunday school days and Jonah was all about a big fish? There are two verses in Jonah that mention the fish, right? (laughs) Jonah's actual rescue with the fish is mentioned only very briefly. The writer, the Jonah, seems to have more important things to tell us. And he does them through this psalm. It's like a psalm. It's not in the book of psalms, but it is a psalm. It's in a style of many psalms. A psalm of thanksgiving, that Jonah is giving thanks to God for his rescue. And it's that psalm we're going to focus on today. Jonah, if you look at the psalm, Jonah was distressed. There is no doubt of that. He describes his, his distress in rich, evocative language. And if the language doesn't quite match your text, it's because the NIV has gone through some revisions, and I'm using the uh, the more modern one. Um, from he, it's the language he uses from deep in the realm of the dead, 
hurled into the depths, the very heart of the seas, the current swirled, the breakers swept over me, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Listen to the language. You really feel his pain, don't you? Most of us don't know what it feels like to drown. <clears throat> but we think we know, thanks no doubt to texts like this. And to our imagination, sometimes overactive imaginations, sometimes nightmares. But drowning is, it's kind of, it's more than just drowning. Both to us and to here and elsewhere. Here and elsewhere in the Bible, it's become, in the words of my commentary, <coughs> an all-purpose statement of misery. We can be drowning in work, drowning in sorrow. We can feel overwhelmed to the point of being submerged by the things, the pressures on us. Or we can feel suffocated by our troubles. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you haven't been drowning. Maybe some of you have been drowning and us <coughs> know what it feels like, but I, I haven't. But I do know what it feels like sometimes to feel overwhelmed. And if you do feel like that, God knows how you feel. And Jonah felt that too. Now if we're drowning, whether literally or metaphorically, we need help. We need to be rescued. We can't normally rescue ourselves. That's what drowning means. We're not independent of God, able to live without him. We need him. And sometimes we need him to rescue us. But to be rescued by God means normally needs us to do two things. We need, firstly, to recognize that we are in trouble, that we are unable to help ourselves. And secondly, we need to call to God for help. And if you look at the text, Jonah does both. And both get a degree of emphasis in the text, which we'll come to later. It's the same for us. If we want to be rescued, we need, in most cases, we need to recognize that we both need and want God's help, and we're going to have to tell him that. Now, Jonah actually goes further. He recognizes that he doesn't deserve to be rescued. What he deserves, he believes, is death. Verse 12 of chapter 1, he recognizes that he needs to die. That having disobeyed God and the storm having come, as, jo as Joanna told us last week, the right thing for Jonah to do is to be thrown into the sea and therefore he expects to die. So he expects death. He was in the fish three days and three nights. And at the time, that was an idiom. It, wasn't, it may not have been a literal three days and three nights. Whenever you hear three days and three nights in the Bible, it means long enough to be definitely dead. Jonah says his life was ebbing away. He deserved death and he should have been death, uh, should have been dead. Yet God rescued him. So this is another component of God's rescue. It's what we call the grace of God. God does not give us what we deserve. He gives us something much better than that. God gave Jonah life instead of death. And Jonah is grateful. As we see in verse 9, he shouts with grateful praise. He shows his thanks with sacrifices and he declares that salvation comes from the Lord. God is the God of salvation. 
And God is indeed the God who saves. It's not just littered through the Bible. It is a defining theme of the Bible that God is a God who saves over and over again. God saves the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He saves them again at the Red Sea. He saves them by bringing water from a rock and giving them some manna and quail to eat. He saves them in battle time and time again. He saves them from the Philistines through David's conquest of Goliath. Later on, the ravens feed Elijah. Elisha turns a penniless widow into an oil merchant. God rescues Hezekiah in Jerusalem from Sennacherib, who I've mentioned because he was king of Assyria, he came from Nineveh. And God, he had the Assyrians, and this context of Jonah, the Assyrians were a terrible, terrible army. Um, the terrorists of their time massively feared. And God saves Hezekiah and Jerusalem from them by killing 185,000 in one night. Daniel is, is saved from the lions. Daniel's friends are saved from the furnace. God is a God of salvation. In the New Testament, Jesus saves people from illness, from demons, from death. He saves lepers. He restores sight to the blind. He brings back movement to paralyzed people. He saves the woman who was caught in adultery just with his rhetoric, just with his arguments. He brings Lazarus back from the dead. And everything he does, the apostles do too in Acts. The paralyzed beggar in Acts 3. Dorcas raised from the dead. Same for Eutychus, who fell asleep listening to Paul's sermon, which is a warning to preachers everywhere. He fell out of an upstairs window. Thankfully, none of you are sitting on a window still, so we're all right. (laughs) Salvation truly does belong to God. He is the expert. It is his defining characteristic. He saves those who recognize their peril who cry out, who realize they need need him. And he saves out of grace. He saves those who do not, indeed cannot, earn their salvation, who do not deserve it. And yet he saves them, he saves Jonah, he saves us out of his free gift. Now, when I first looked at this passage, when I learned sometime in the autumn that I was being invited to preach on this, um, my initial reaction was that the sermon I would give and you know me, I'll take 20 minutes or more to talk it through, the sermon I'd give would be pretty much what I've just said. But I always seem to go on a journey as I come to a passage. I met many preachers go through the same journey, and I've certainly, God has taken me on a journey with some very helpful hints and suggestions from Joanna uh, over the last few weeks, and uh, there's more to this, as I'm sure you will uh, imagine. And we're going to look at the passage at another layer in the passage now. So, look at this. I don't know if you've ever seen these adverts for the Samaritans. They're, they're on the railways. Um, and there's two messages. The, the, main, the, the first message is, I'm alright with being single, I guess. It's not ideal for the kids, but they seem to be coping. But there's a deeper message. What, perhaps what the person is feeling but not saying. And the Samaritans have helpfully highlighted that in red. I'm not coping. And something similar, although perhaps a bit more sophisticated, is going on in this passage. There is a lot of repetition in Jonah. Now, if you say something three times, or if Jonah says something three times, or if in the Bible something is said three times, it is clearly important When something is said three times, we take notes. We know, 
I'll give you an example. We know that Jonah, the book of Jonah, is about the God who saves. Not only because Jonah himself is saved, but because Jonah's rescue is bracketed by two other rescues. The sailors are saved in chapter 1. And in chapter 3, the Ninevites are saved. So there's a repetition of saving. Sailors, Jonah, Ninevites. Now, as Joanna said last week, in the way they wrote at the time, this structure of saying something three times would have the effect of drawing attention to the middle one, the central thing. That's how they, that's how they wrote. You get a pattern, things surround things, and in the middle, that's the bit you focus on. So the saving of the sailors, chapter 1, and the Ninevites in chapter 3, not only emphasizes that God saves, it points at that central story of salvation, the story of Jonah. And as we'll see now, that story is rather special. So now I want to look into more detail at today's texts. And let's first look at the way Jonah describes the peril he is facing. Um, there are three places in which he does it. He does it in verse 3, with several pictures and images evoking drowning. He does it in verse 5, with more imagery of drowning. But he also does it in verse 4, and that is in a very different way. He writes not about drowning, but about banishment, about exile from God. Banishment, different from drowning, but both are about the peril, the sad state Jonah is in. Do you see how those outer texts about drowning bracket the central verse about banishment, and so they emphasize it? If you were here last week, doesn't this remind you a bit of, the, of what Joanna called a chiasm in chapter 1? And she did say there are more in, in Jonah. So when Jonah is drowning, he also mourns his separation from God. Could it be that in the sea and in the fish, Jonah doesn't just feel at risk of death by drowning, but he feels, perhaps as strongly, maybe even more so, he feels the pain of being cut off from God. Like drowning, banishment and the loneliness it leads to is another really strong image of misery uh, because we are a species created to be in relationship. It is another all-purpose statement of misery. But in the Bible, banishment or exile from God is specifically the punishment for rejecting or disobeying God. It is the punishment for sin. Now, if you heard Joanna speak last week, you may remember her speaking about the scapegoat. That was the animal in a religious ceremony, um, the animal in which the Israelite sins, all those times they had rebelled against God, their sins were symbolically placed by the laying on of the priest's hands on the, the goats. And the animal was not sacrificed, not killed straight away. The animal was banished, chased from the camp, exiled, separated from the people, taking their sins with it. And that's this imagery of exile as the punishment for sin. The people themselves then wouldn't have to be exiled from God because their sin had been exiled from God without them. It's a vivid image of the biblical truth that from Adam and Eve in the garden onwards, the consequence of sin, the immediate consequence of sin, is always separation from God. In asking to be thrown from the ship, Jonah believed himself to be the scapegoat, that his exile from God and from the sailors 
carrying not just their sins, his sins, but theirs too, would be the way out of the mess they were all in. So no wonder when he was in the water, in the fish, no wonder he felt separated from God. He'd not been able to escape God by running away, but as punishment for his sin, God had sent him into exile beneath the sea. And when God sends us into exile, we cannot, of our own choice, we cannot return. We need God to rescue us. And that, of course, is what happens to Jonah, and he cries for help. And that's the next thing that Jonah says three times. Verse 2, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Verse 7, Jonah remembers God and prays. But in the second half of verse 4, Jonah says it differently. He says, I will look again to your holy temple. Again, we have three times Jonah is responding to God in some sort of a cry or response to to God seeking help. But the central one is slightly different, has an interestingly different message. Because the temple, the temple is a focal point of God's presence on earth in the time. Jonah looked to the temple to end his exile. Some commentators see a connection here with an incident in Numbers 21 when the Israelites who were in the wilderness rebelled. God sent venomous snakes among them because they shouldn't have rebelled and so they needed to be told that they shouldn't have rebelled. And when they cried for help, Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole and anyone anyone who was bitten could look at the bronze snake and live. So there's an idea of looking to something for salvation there. But whether or not that connection is intended here, the message is that Jonah didn't just cry for help. We don't just cry for help. We look to God's presence on earth. And now are you beginning to see maybe where this is going? God's presence on earth then was the temple. But later, it was Jesus Christ. Jesus who said in John 2, destroy this temple, meaning his body, and I will raise it again in three days. God's presence on earth replacing the temple is Jesus Christ. We are in exile because of our sins. Jesus came to rescue us from exile. And so to be saved, we need to look to him. So I am, again, for those of you who are here, repeating and reinforcing something that Joanna said, uh, something else Joanna said last week, which is that God has one big story. The Bible is one big story. We're all part of it. The book of Jonah is symbolically telling in advance some of the central parts of it, the central parts around Jesus. So I have one more threefold repetition. And this is about God's response. Jonah writes in three places about God's response. Verse 2, you listen to my cry. Verses 8 and 9, slightly harder to see, um, but Jonah talks about God's love being available to him and not to those who turn away, who cling to idols. And also Jonah talks about salvation coming from the Lord. Very general sense of response, that God listens and God responds. But then in verse 6, we have this really much more specific text. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. More specific, more detailed, and quite remarkable evocative language. In the Bible, pits do not have a good press. They are hazards you can fall into. They are traps. They are places of decay, places where dead people get put. In Job and in the Psalms, it's become quite symbolic. The pit is a dark place, a place full of slime, a place to avoid, a place deserved of sinners, 
the opposite of somewhere where you could live, where you could enjoy the light of life. It is, it's a symbolic of separation, of darkness, of hopelessness, of despair, of decay, and of death. There's a very stark distinction being made here. This banishment, this separation from God that Jonah experiences, and which he has then been lifted out from, it's not just a fleeting loneliness. It is a place he really didn't want to go. And a place he was really glad to be rescued from. The text, I think, emphasizes it in a way that suggests it was worse even than drowning, worse even than the the death by drowning that Jonah feared. Because all of us die, everyone dies. But Jonah maybe is telling us that this pit of exile is another sort of death, one we really shouldn't want to experience. But Jonah had been lifted out of the pit, restored to life, to, to light, to hope, and to a future with God. The difference is remarkable. Could we go so far as to describe this difference as new life or even resurrection? Jesus thought so. He said in Matthew 12, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus saw in Jonah's descent into the sea and Jonah's time in the fish, Jesus saw a prediction of his own crucifixion and burial, his own exile from God as he took on the role of scapegoat, carrying the world's sins away from the people. And he saw in Jonah's rescue, in Jonah being lifted from the pit, he saw a prediction of his own resurrection. Which means he also saw in the book of Jonah a clear statement that his own death and resurrection would enable people who were exiled from God because of sin, would enable people who were exiled from God to look to him, to look to Jesus, and be rescued from exile, to be lifted out of the pit, to share in new resurrection life with him. And so we come to the real end of the talk, with the real message of Jonah. And it's just a summary of the verses we've picked out. So that we all need rescue. Rescue not just from wind and waves, from big fish, but rescue from our own rebellion. Our rejection of God. Rescue from our rejection of God and rescue from the exile, from the pit that goes with it. If you haven't met this idea before, you may need some convincing that you're in a pit or that you're headed that way. If you don't know God, if you don't believe, possibly you don't even believe in God or don't, aren't convinced of God's existence, why, what does it matter, you might say, to ignore him? And I will tell you that just as a baby in the womb has no idea of the wonderful life and light available to it after birth, so it's possible to be in the pit without realizing it. Jonah was in relationship with God before the story began. He knew what life was like outside the pit. And then he found himself in the pit. But if you've never experienced life outside the pit, you might not think that the pit's so very bad. But believe me, believe Jonah, there is a life outside the pit. And it is wonderful. And it makes the pit seem very bad indeed. So the message of Jonah is that God is the God of salvation who loves to save. And come back with me to that first part of the talk. God saves those who recognize their peril, who recognize that they are exiled from God, and who recognize that they are in the pit because of their sin. 
He saves those who cry out, but who specifically who look to Jesus to save them. And he saves out of grace. We cannot escape the pit on our own, but by the death and resurrection of Jesus, by the grace and mercy of God, we can. If you look to Jesus, he will save you. No matter how long you've been in the pit, no matter how deep, no matter what you have done, great or small, Jesus will save you by his death and resurrection. He will lift you out of the pit. He will lift you to light, not darkness. He will lift you to hope and not despair. He will lift you to life and not death. He will end your exile from the God who made you, the God who knows you better than you know yourself, the God who will give you life, true life. Are you in the pit? Look to Jesus and be saved. Let's pray. And this is for all of us to pray. Because we all, even those who have known Jesus for a long time, we all walk away from him from time to time. And we all need him to bring us back to him. But it's also for you to choose to pray if you want to. If you've never prayed this sort of prayer before. So Lord, we confess that we are in the pit through our own sin, through our own rebellion against you. We are in the pit through our own deliberate fault. And we are truly sorry that we have turned against you. We have not trusted you. Maybe we have not believed in you. We have not put you first. And we confess that. And we look to you, Lord Jesus. We look to your mercy to forgive us our sins through your death and resurrection. And we look to you to lift us up from the pit. Amen.